Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. A surprise development in the race for governor this week. New York Attorney General Letitia James ended her campaign for governor Thursday, saying she'll instead seek re-election. James announced her campaign less than two months ago and was Governor Kathy Hochul's closest competitor. A new Siena poll this week had James with 18% of the vote in a crowded Democratic primary. But Hochul had a firm lead in the poll with 36% of the vote. And while the two were just at odds in the race, Hochul said there's no hard feelings and that she'll support Tish in her bid for re-election. All I can say is I, I respect her tremendously, always have, that it has never been uh, not the case, and we are going to do great things. And I look forward to having her uh, on the ticket as we head into the November election together. The other Democrats who've entered the race, meanwhile, have a lot of ground to make up if they're going to beat Hochul. New York City public advocate Jamani Williams had 10 percent in this week's Siena poll, while Congressman Tom Suozzi had 6 percent. And now that large voting block that was backing James will be up for grabs. But something else that stood out in this poll is how voters don't know who any of these people are. Even with Governor Hochul, 30 percent of voters said they didn't know enough about her to have an opinion. Swazi has it worst. 65 percent of voters said they don't know him. And that got me thinking that we haven't really introduced you to these candidates in a larger context. So this week, we're doing just that. Daryl Camp reports. The 2022 Democratic primary for governor in New York has the potential to be one of the most interesting and competitive races in recent memory. When former Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned back in August, some Democrats saw that as an opening for the seat. And so far, four candidates have announced, but one has already ended their campaign. Nearly two weeks before current Governor Kathy Hochul replaced Cuomo in office, she already announced that she'd be seeking a full term next year. I want people to believe in their governor again. It's important to me that people have faith. Our strength comes from the faith and the confidence of the people who put us in these offices. Hochul comes from Buffalo and held roles in local government before serving in Congress and being elected twice as lieutenant governor. Bob Bellafiore is a political analyst and former press secretary to Governor George Pataki, who now owns his own PR firm. He says that Hochul seems to be the clear favorite for now. Even though she was unelected, there was only one candidate, Governor Hochul, who has the power of incumbency. And it seems to me that whatever the path may be between now and the end of next June, when the primary is, she continues to have the upper hand. The second candidate to announce a run for the Democratic nomination was New York Attorney General Letitia James at the end of October. But James this week decided to end her campaign for governor and instead run for re-election as New York Attorney General. In a statement, James said, quote, I have come to the conclusion that I must continue my work as attorney general. There are a number of important investigations and cases that are underway, and I intend to finish the job. That means that for now, Hochul only has two competitors in next year's primary. New York City public advocate Jamani Williams, a progressive Democrat from Brooklyn, announced his run for governor last month. He told New York Now this year that he wants to shake up Albany from the ground up. We're trying to run for something, not necessarily against anyone. But when I ran in 2018, we said that Albany wasn't working then, and most people agreed. Having only held city-level office compared to the state-level positions held by Hochul and James, Williams also has the challenge of name recognition. 
That's according to Steve Greenberg, a Siena College pollster and a former press secretary for two speakers of the state assembly. I think Jamani Williams has a platform to build on. He's won a citywide office twice. He needs to take that constituency that, that voted for him there and try and mobilize them. And then there's Congressman Tom Swazi, who entered the race in late November. He's considered to be a more moderate Democrat and is in his third term in Congress. He previously held office as Nassau County Executive and was a local mayor. He also ran for governor in 2006. And so far, Swazi has framed himself as what he calls a common-sense Democrat. It's about trying to find the answers as to... The, to the problems that we face. I'll work with anybody. I'll work with Democrats. I'll work with Republicans. I'll work with progressives. I'll work with moderates. I'll work with anybody. But analysts say that each candidate's performance will depend on the issues. Liz Benjamin is with Marathon Strategies, a consulting firm, and is also a former longtime Albany journalist. While crime and the pandemic are top of mind, Benjamin says other issues will come into play as well. Economic viability, economic recovery, the supply chain, um, inflation. I mean, some of these things are federal in nature, but issues are certainly going to be brought to the fore at the state level. Analysts say that we should know more about where the race for governor stands after next year's conventions in Albany. For New York Now, I'm Daryl Camp. And New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio is also considering a run. We should know more about that in the next few weeks. And we'll get more into the race for attorney general in a few minutes. But first, the ripple effect of Andrew Cuomo continues to widen. SUNY Chancellor Jim Malatris resigned this week over news of his past behavior in the workplace and his ties to the former governor. Rachel Silverstein from the Times Union joins me now with more. Rachel, it has been a week for news in New York, but a big story up until yesterday when Tish James dropped out was the SUNY chancellor. So can you, you provide us some context? What was he, uh, what had he done that prompted all these calls for him to resign? So I don't think it was one thing that he did. Right. I think it was a series of stories and sort of the rapid fire pace that they came out. Um, it was his association with the governor. He's like the last, one of the last um, top loyalists of Governor Cuomo um, to still be in a position of power. Um, and he's managed to hang on to his seat um, because he is appointed by the Cuomo-appointed Board of Trustees. Right. Um, and so I don't think it was one scandal that brought him down or one single incident, but I think cumulatively um, from the nursing home report that he is said to have a role in to the uh, his role in the governor's controversial pandemic memoir. And then more recently, there were revelations that he was sort of antagonizing or really contributing to the toxic workplace that prompted, you know, 11 women to come forward and ultimately brought down the governor. Yeah, talk to me about this. Uh, you obtained audio exclusively this week of a conversation, maybe not a conversation, I, I wouldn't call it that, between Moatris and somebody at the Rockefeller Institute where he used to work, he used to lead that. So what was he saying? Because uh, I, I think that's what pushed it over the edge this week for his resignation. But what was going on in that conversation? So keep in mind, we released a minute of that conversation. That was 55 minutes of him, of, of them, have not quite a conversation. Like you said, he was berating her, insulting her, calling her lady instead of referring to her 
by her name. Right. Um, he, you know, he told her he cursed a lot. He said you're impossible. Called her, a, told her she's miserable multiple times. It was just pure. I think to anyone who listened to it, any objective observer would say that was like abusive conduct in the workplace towards a subordinate. Um, and so I think. Last week, the big news was the Lindsay, you know, there were text, internal text messages that were revealed that showed he had been sort of uh, disparaging Lindsay Boylan, the first accuser of Governor Cuomo. Um, and he sort of explained it away as a disagreement between colleagues. And, right. um, and he's done this with each subsequent um, scandal. And then when this came out, I think the Board of Trustees had to do a calculation and wonder, you know, how many other recordings are there out there? Um, his He assured uh, prominent state senator Liz Kruger that there wasn't anything else that was going to come out, and that day something else did. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, the number of the series of things sort of painted a picture of someone who really contributed to the environment that brought down the governor. What are the consequences of this? Uh, I guess in the short term, um, Kathy Hochul, the governor, had said that she wants to overhaul SUNY in her state of the state address, in the budget address. We don't know anything about that, so I won't have you speculate, but what are the consequences of this at the SUNY level? The Board of Trustees obviously made this decision to, uh, well, didn't, he resigned, but now they have to pick somebody new. So what are we looking at going forward? Uh, okay, well, I think now there's a lot of distrust in the SUNY Board of Trustees because they stood behind him, even as there was this sort of like groundswell of opposition and students and faculty. And even when he was appointed, he was sort of shoved into the position by Governor Cuomo without a nationwide search, which was very controversial. And so I think, you know, given that the Board of Trustees has sort of uh, dismissed uh, the the will of the students and the faculty who make up the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who make up SUNY's 64 campuses, um, I think there's a desire for the whole place to be restructured. Yeah. Um, I think the day of, people were already calling for, you know, someone, to, the, the SUNY, sort of, a, the SUNY uh, trustees were appointed by Cuomo and they should be accountable too. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation. Yeah. We've got to leave it there. It's developing and we'll see where it goes. Rachel Silverstein from the Times Union, thank you. Thank you. All right, coming now back to politics. The race for New York Attorney General just got very complicated with A.G. Tish James now seeking re-election instead of running for governor. That will change the dynamic of the race. We know from past elections in New York that when people run for re-election, they usually win. So the Democrats challenging Tish now have a new challenge. And with her jumping back in, we don't know who will stay in the race to run against her. As of Friday morning, State Senator Shelley Mayer had pulled her bid for AG, instead saying she'll support Tish. But another Democrat says she's staying in. Maria Vullo was the head of the State Department of Financial Services for three years. Before that, she served in the AG's office and at one point represented Planned Parenthood before the U.S. Supreme Court. We spoke this week for a look at her campaign. Maria Velo, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Wonderful to be here, Dan. Thanks. So you were running for state attorney general. You were previously the superintendent of the State Department of Financial Services, which deals with things like banks, financial institutions, cybersecurity, and insurance in the state. First, I want to get your elevator pitch. So you're running for AG. What are your top issues? What would you tell voters as to why you should be the next state attorney general? 
Sure. So obviously, yes, I have deep experience in state government as a superintendent of financial services. I was a statewide public official, and I actually have a proven track record of doing things for the people of the state of New York. And that is what I want to do as the attorney general, as the people's lawyer. And that's why I am running. And I also served in the attorney general's office as executive deputy attorney general for economic justice. And I also, when I was a private lawyer, did uh, significant pro bono matters, public impact matters, represented women survivors of sexual assault. And I also represented Planned Parenthood for many years in a case against anti-abortion extremists. And I intend to continue with the work that I've done my entire career on reproductive rights, on consumer rights, on you know stamping out bad actors, on going against con artists on Wall Street and everywhere else, on addressing the, the gun violence pandemic and addressing the issues of healthcare that obviously many New Yorkers are experiencing post-pandemic. Talk to me about what happened when you were superintendent. So you worked on a lot of issues while you were there and it was you were there for a re relatively short time, but you did accomplish quite a bit. Tell me about the top things that you did there. I know that you were involved in um, the NRA and insurance program there. You were also involved in access to reproductive rights while you were there as well. So talk me through your, your top items there. Sure. So, and Dan, you obviously know it well, but I was there for three years, three full years, and it was a jam-packed three full years. And we did a great job for the people of the state of New York, my team and I. And we did, yes, we uh, we protected New Yorkers on health care access when the Trump administration was trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act. We protected them from any prohibitions on pre-existing condition limitations. And yes, I, I mandated that insurance companies cover contraception and abortion without copays or deductibles. I did that in the face of the attacks by the Trump administration. Also prohibited any discrimination based on age, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity or transgender status. I also you know, went after the big banks and recovered $3 billion for the state of New York on financial crime matters. And I collected $400 million in restitution that went directly back to the consumers. I also led the nation in cybersecurity with a regulation that set the national standard. So we did a lot to protect uh, and to you know, act on behalf of the people of the state of New York when I was superintendent of DFS. And I'm very proud of my work. So let's talk about the Office of the Attorney General. One issue that came up in 2018 was the office's jurisdiction over cases of public corruption. So at the time, there was a divide between the candidates and the current Attorney General, Letitia James, had said that she wanted to expand the office's powers to investigate cases of public corruption and other cases like cases of sexual harassment without a referral. Right now, the AG's office needs a referral to do those cases. Do you have the same position? Do you think the AG's office should have more independent power over these investigations? Or do you think that check of having a referral is the right balance? So look, I think, you know, there are a number of areas of public integrity. And look, the, the, the voters, the New Yorkers are crying out for this. And that's why it is critically important that the next attorney general be independent and a person of honesty and integrity. And that's why I'm running. It is true that in many cases, a referral is required. And there's obviously issues with that. And I believe the New York State Legislature will be looking at those issues. But in looking at those issues, we have to look more broadly in New York State government. Again, I'm very familiar with this. We have to look at JCOPE. We have to look at the power of JCOPE. We have to look at the power of the inspector general. Uh, now, these are all issues that have existed for some time, but have obviously come to the forefront 
based on recent events. You know, the inspector general, for example, should be investigating, you know, agencies of government, but its reporting structure, I believe, needs to be improved. JCOP has not, you know, fairly done its job. I do believe that there needs to be a system where the executive or anyone else doesn't control who investigates him or her. Uh, and I think that legislative uh, process needs to be worked out. If not this legislative session, then the legislative session when I am the attorney general and I will definitely work through the legislator to make sure that there's independence in that process. You know, speaking of the next legislative session, we are expecting bail reform and crime to be a top issue for lawmakers. About a year ago, the debate over bail reform was really sparked when current attorney general Letitia James said that she wanted changes to the bail reform law, which actually ended up happening. I'm wondering what your position is on crime and bail reform. It's obviously a very important topic to New Yorkers right now. Do you think that there need to be changes to that law or are there other ways that New York may be able to address crime? And I should note that the Attorney General's office doesn't really get involved in these criminal matters too often. It's more of the local DAs, but I'm curious what you think. Sure. I mean, look, the, you know, the attorney general, though, you're absolutely right, Dan, the attorney general is not the district attorneys, right? There's not the street crime that we're talking about when we're talking about the statute that the legislature passed, uh, you know, a few years ago with respect to bail reform and the, the role of the judges in imposing bail, which is really what the debate is right now. I mean, that said, the attorney general always has a role and a bully pulpit in sort of, you know, advising on things, although it is, like, you know, an issue for the district attorneys on a day-to-day -day basis. Look, you know, public safety is is paramount, uh, and the public is entitled to the, its public officials being focused on public safety. At the same time, you know, people who are accused of crimes are entitled to due process and fairness in the process. And the question is, how do you balance those two things? And certainly, you know, if things have turned out to be not balanced in the way that they should be, then the legislature should be looking at this carefully, look at the evidence of what has happened. I think there are, you know, other factors that might be contributing to what we're seeing in the spike of crime. And I think those factors have to be considered as well. And as attorney general, I certainly would look at those things and advocate for what I think is best for the people of the state of New York. And public safety has to be paramount. Well, we'll see how it shakes out. This is going to be a, a long race for attorney general. We already have a heated primary going and then you have the general election. So we'll check back in with you in a little bit just to see how the race is going before the primary. Until then, Maria Valillo, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And we'll wait to see which Democrats stay in the race in the next few weeks. Now, on the other side of the aisle, there's also a primary brewing, but it's smaller. Attorneys Michael Henry, John Sarcone, and Joe Holland have all said they're running in the Republican primary. Now, a Republican hasn't won the race for attorney general since 1994. Even in 1998, when Republican Governor George Pataki was reelected, Democrat Elliot Spitzer won the race for AG. But Republicans say they've got a good shot next year, considering the party's wave of wins in this year's elections. This week, we'll speak with Michael Henry, who was the first Republican to announce a run for AG. He's an attorney in New York City with his own firm and previously worked in the mortgage industry. We spoke about his experience and what he would do as the next attorney general. Michael Henry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Dan. Of course. So you are running for attorney general. Mm -hmm. You are a Republican. Uh, this is your first run for political office. Sure. So we don't know too much about you. Tell mm -hmm. me what you're doing right now. What's your past? 
Sure. So I am first in my family to go to college. I am an attorney in private practice. I, I own my own practice based out of New York City. Uh, prior to being an attorney in private practice, I worked in the mortgage industry. Um, I had management experience, which is also applicable because obviously the attorney general is a chief executive officer. Yes. And now I'm traveling the state running to be the Republican nominee for attorney general of the state of New York. So tell me why you want to be AG. I want to be AG because New York's provided me with a lot of opportunities. It's allowed me to live out a lot of, uh, fulfill a lot of goals and also live out a lot of my dreams as a professional. And it's the one party control of the state, which has, a, you know, the lack of balance has a negative effect right now on the state of New York, in my opinion. And it was also the government's disastrous response to the COVID crisis that inspired me to want to take on this fight. I, I never previously ever thought I'd be running for office, but I saw it as a situation where if I could win, I could provide balance to state government, which I think the state really needs. So as you're going across the state, you're talking to a lot <laughs> of people, I'm assuming. What are your top issues that you're bringing to them? When you talk to people, what are the issues that you're talking about that you really want to focus on? Sure. I've been focusing on what I call the three C's, which is crime, uh, corruption, and COVID justice. And what I mean by COVID justice is um, level of closure for the families that suffered through the COVID crisis. So I've been focusing on those issues statewide, um, certain areas of the state. There's you know smaller, uh, some other issues that affect different regions. But for the most part, I focus on my three C's, crime, COVID, and corruption. Talk to me about corruption. So mm -hmm. the Attorney General's office, as we saw during the, the Cuomo scandals, mm -hmm. doesn't have original jurisdiction to take right. up that kind of thing. As we saw, the governor, the previous governor, had to refer that to Attorney General Letitia mm -hmm. James. This has been a point of discussion in the last few election cycles. So do you think the AG's power should be expanded to have more original jurisdiction over those matters, matters of sexual harassment, public corruption, or uh, would you rather have it more confined as kind of a check on that office? Uh, I actually would support the legislature moving to expand and give the, the attorney general more discretion. Um, as far as, like you said, sexual harassment, workplace issues, I would hope that the state legislature would move forward with allowing people to make uh, complaints directly to the attorney general's office. As far as corruption, I, I think we see when you have an attorney general that could be investigating a governor, it would be pretty hard to get that governor to sign off on an investigation. And I think that the attorney general's office should have the discretion and that the state legislature needs to um, look in supporting that kind of discretion and moving forward and I guess we should say modernizing uh, how the Attorney General's office is functioning in the state of New York. And when you talk about COVID justice, is mm -hmm. this just justice for um, families of nursing home residents? Because I know that's been a huge thing during the pandemic. Right. Where does the AG's office play a role in that? And I guess explain what you mean a little bit more by COVID justice. Right. Well, um, we've already seen that the current Attorney General's office has a criminal investigation into what exactly went on with the, the governor's utilization of public resources to personally enrich himself on an over $5 million book deal. Um, as I travel this state, and, and this is actually one of the motivating factors for me, is no matter where I go, in the most rural of counties or the biggest cities, um, I almost at every event I have someone come up to me with a horrific nursing home story. And I'm under no illusion that I'm going to be able to bring 15,000 people back to life or 15,000 plus people back to life. But I think those families need some level of closure as to exactly what went wrong. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of families that, I mean, there's some instances where people told me they were notified two days after a relative passed away that they passed away. And for me, it would be one, um, investigating, following up to investigate what exactly went on with the governor's office and utilization of government resources, uh, former governor's office and utilization of public resources in, in order to enrich himself on a book deal and then secondly what one actually went on in some of these facilities because there were people that were being pushed into facilities that had bad ventilation they were being 
pushed into facilities that didn't have the capacity, and we need to know exactly what went on. Why were liability laws changed right around the same time executive orders were passed? So I would look to, uh, I don't know exactly what is going on with that investigation. Obviously, when I get into office, I would assess it and then see what I would have to expand on. Um, but I would more than likely, obviously, be looking to expand on what she's already done. And <clears throat> on your third C, so crime, uh, what's your strategy there? The AG's office doesn't necessarily um, handle local crime. That's the DAs, right. obviously. But the AG does play a role in informing those policies a lot of the times. So we have this crime spike in New York State, in New mm -hmm. York City, uh, really bad. What would you do about that? I guess you don't have any direct action, but what would your ideas be? Right. Well, the first thing you have is a bully pulpit, right? Like, I, I could publicly advocate for the repeal of bail reform, which I think it needs to be repealed. I, I think amending a bad law makes it a bad law with basically Band-Aids on it. I, I think it needs to be repealed, and the legislature needs to get back together, and if they want to make reforms to the system, they, they need to do it the right way. This is not the right way. The other thing is the attorney general. Um, you obviously work in partnership with local district attorneys. In many instances, you need a special order to work on criminal matters with local district attorneys. So I think I would work to strengthen relationships. We also need to understand that there are communities right now that lack trust with law enforcement. And one of the things I would do is utilize my, my, uh, my office to sit down with law enforcement, sit down with a lot of communities that don't have a level of trust, and try to work together to bridge this gap so everybody could work together in resolving issues in a lot of these local communities, which in many cases tend to be minority communities where a lot of this crime is, is out of control and these spikes in crime are. So those are some of the ways that I would go about it. I would also fight um, new criminal justice reforms that I think are, are bad, like parole reform that's coming. Um, I, I think that we need to be outspoken about this and also uh, I would I would actually work to help try to get more Republicans elected to the state Senate because I think this is a, an issue that the legislature really needs to step up on and I feel that there's many currently in Albany that haven't seen or are in denial about the repercussions of what their policies have done to people and then also um, don't seem to really want to put a restoration back into what exactly is right and wrong and I, and I think we need to have uh, a, a state where we put victims rights over criminals rights and, and we don't see that right now. It is a conversation that's going to be top of mind in the next legislative session. Um, but we went through a lot, so I'll leave it there. Yeah. Michael Henry, candidate for AG, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Sure. And we'll be reaching out to the other candidates for AG to see if they'll join us before the primary, including current AG, Tish James. In the meantime, don't forget that we always have the latest news from the state capitol over on our website. That's at nynow.org, and we update it every day. But we'll leave it there for this week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.